Good morning. Legalism creates the opportunity for loopholes. It creates a space where people can technically comply with rules without actually practising them, without getting the proper point of what they're for. In my last sermon, the point I made was that the law from God is really about the vibe of the thing. It's about core principles and not following specific rules while completely missing the purpose of those rules. This theme continues here, through this pas- though this passage goes into a little bit more depth about why that matters. In this case, the Pharisees have approached Jesus and raised a complaint about the fact that the disciples have been observed eating without washing their hands first, which is a traditionally required purification ritual. The hand washing here is specifically a command from tradition and not one which is scriptural. Jesus' response is not to make an attempt to explain or justify what his disciples are doing. His response is to ask the Pharisees why they break the commandment of God for the sake of tradition, for a man-made rule. To turn their attention back to themselves. You see, the Pharisees followed some traditions and rules that were not set out in the Mosaic laws. These rules were developed from people trying to understand how to apply God's law for Israel and grew over time to become more complicated and more restrictive. Matthew 15, 3 to 6 says, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honour your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honour them. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. The parallel passage in Mark 7 uses the word korban, which means something has been dedicated to be set apart from God. As a general rule, setting something apart for God's work would normally be something we'd consider to be a good thing, right? We look favourably on people dedicating time and resources to a good cause. But the specific practice Jesus was referring to wasn't honouring to God. In this specific scenario... People were freeing themselves of the obligation to care for their ageing parents by dedicating their assets to God without needing to actually hand over those assets to the temple at the time. So those assets remained in control of the person who was dedicating them to God. They were pledging to give them at a future time. This was an act being done out of self-interest rather than true dedication It made people look impressively religious to be pledging so much to the temple. But the practical results were reducing a person's responsibilities and liabilities while simultaneously putting their parents in a place of hardship by stripping away the care society expected them to receive. They had taken a specific practice, which was a good thing, the idea of dedicating things to God, and twisted it into something bad. 
Jesus goes on to say, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy when he said, this people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. These are quite strong words. Jesus was clearly unimpressed with the way the Pharisees elevated human traditions to be equal to or above the laws God gave to Israel and turning those traditions into something that would distance people from God. I think it's important to note here that he doesn't say that the traditions are bad, nor does he say that they are good. The traditions are neutral in this case. The problem here is not about following or not following the traditions as an individual. The problem is about enforcing other people following a tradition and adding extra requirements to their lives. Jesus moves on from addressing the Pharisees to talk to the common people. Hear and understand it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. The disciples have got distracted and asked Jesus whether he knew that the Pharisees were offended by what he said. This honestly seems like a rather stupid question to me. Considering what Jesus said, he probably knew that the Pharisees were offended before the Pharisees realised they were offended. But Jesus answers them, saying, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Leave them alone. They are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Which is pretty much, don't waste time on them. There's a plan and it's not your job to fix them or stop them. Don't get distracted by those who want to have disputes over rules and traditions when there are unreached people who will actually be open to learning. So the disciples move on. Explain the parable to us. And Jesus' response is, are you still so dull? Maybe they were too distracted by the offended Pharisees to realise that what Jesus said to the people in this case was actually quite clear and not much of a parable at all. But Jesus does go on to explain it even more clearly. Whatever you put into your mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled. What comes out of your mouth defiles a person because this comes from your heart. Evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness and slander come out of your heart. Those are the things that defile you. Eating with unwashed hands doesn't defile anyone because whatever they've got on their hands will pass through their body and be gone. What matters for a person's faith, what shows who they really are, is what comes out of them. Do they generate compassion, justice, love and encouragement? Or do they create anxiety, stress, distrust and pain? Of the things they can control, what are they focusing on and what actions are they choosing? External factors can't define whether you are a good person. Only what you do can define what sort of person you are. So what does this mean for us here and now going about our lives? The first thing I take away from this passage is don't go looking for opportunities to correct or judge people. The entire conversation the Pharisees were offended by was unnecessary and occurred because they intentionally sought 
to judge what Jesus' disciples were doing. Their offence was, to some extent, self-inflicted. Unsurprisingly, if you go looking for conflict, that tends to result in conflict. If you judge people, you will be judged. Sometimes conflict is needed, but that doesn't mean any of us should be going out to start it. The second thing is realising the need to be aware of the traditions that each of us follow. Where did those traditions come from? What is their actual purpose? Is it critically important or is there some leeway in it? Is a non-critical tradition being valued more than something that really matters? Missing a ritual or not following a tradition generally does not do harm to anyone else. That doesn't mean throw them all out because they don't matter. They can still be good and they can still be useful. If you are in the habit of having a morning devotion or saying grace every time you eat, don't stop doing that just because you've been told it's not absolutely 100% necessary. Just don't obsess over them or try to enforce other people do the same thing because you've found it useful. Don't judge how strong someone's faith is by the rituals they follow. People's brains work differently. What is amazingly useful and inspiring to you might be a dull chore or even detrimental to someone else. Something that you would find harmful for you to practice might have significant benefits for someone else. This doesn't just apply to religious traditions either. There are many cultural and family traditions we have which we can feel uncomfortable if people don't follow. That doesn't mean we need to convince people to follow our traditions and correct them if they don't do it, or question them about why they're doing something differently. For example, if I had a problem with the fact that you don't set the table correctly, with the cutlery handles one inch from the edge of the table, except for the bread and butter knife, which should be on the bread and butter plate, set beside your forks or in line with your water glass and should be parallel to the edge of the table, as is very clearly laid out in the Home Science Manual for Secondary Schools, Book 1, by Florence M. Cullen, that problem is mine. It is not something I should be trying to make you fix. While Florence M. Cullen may have been an authority on the subject in her time, her rules are not the only way you can do something. And they're not even that great. She doesn't even tell you where to put the fancy cutlery or glasses, noting that for a full you know, multi-course meal, full place setting, there is a lot of cutlery and glasses involved. Nor does she even mention where to put a splayed. Now, in fairness to Florence, I will say the splayed is an Australian invention from the 1940s and her qualifications are English and there is no publication date in her book, so it is possible that that predates splayed entirely, but they are an item of cutlery we have and she doesn't cover where you put them. So obviously, we can't be expecting those rules to be the be-all and end-all of how to set a table. This sort of tradition is not critical. No one is going to get harmed if it's not followed. It's convenient to have things where you expect them to be, but it's not essential. While I could walk into any home kitchen in Australia and be fairly confident that I will find cutlery in a top drawer and it will be arranged, knives, forks, then spoons, there are some variations in that and that's okay. There are other traditions which are a lot more important. 
like in Australia, we drive on the left side of the road. If you find someone who's not following that thing, which we traditionally do, that is a risk of causing harm for people. So that one's important to correct. It's important to understand the difference between critical and non-critical traditions so that we can choose how to communicate what is important in an appropriate manner and what is appropriate to let go of. We are not owed an explanation for why someone doesn't follow our traditions any more than we owe them an explanation of why we do things that way. The third thing I take from this passage is to pick my battles. We don't have to give attention to people who oppose our views. Partly this is because when we engage in people who aren't open to other viewpoints, it wastes energy that could be better spent doing something useful and talking to people who are open. And partly this is because when the blind lead the blind, it doesn't go well for them. And that doesn't matter whether the blind guide is being followed because they are trusted or whether they are being followed in order to shout about how wrong they are. If we allow our focus to be on something, on someone that we think is heading in the wrong direction and we keep focusing our attention on them and intentionally engaging with them, we are blind to other things around us and we'll end up following them down whatever path they are headed and falling off whatever cliff they fall off. When we are convinced someone is heading in a wrong direction, we should allow them to go. That doesn't mean we don't tell them that we think they are wrong when they engage with us. Jesus certainly didn't shy away from telling the Pharisees that. But we should allow engagement to be driven by them rather than by us. If I think someone who happens to want to argue with me is heading in a dangerous direction and I stay where I am, there are two things that happen. Firstly, I'm no longer headed in that bad direction. This is good for me. Secondly, if that person really wants to argue with me, if they're dedicated to that, they have to come to me. Which means they have to move away from the bad direction they were headed in. Which is good for both of us. The fourth thing that I take from this passage is that we need to focus on what we create and send out into the world rather than what we consume or take in. When we focus heavily on our own practices to stay good enough, whether that's religious habits or maintaining an Instagram-worthy home and garden and generally keeping up appearances, that takes our focus away from other things. A person can follow all of the right rules and still hurt people. The rules I follow mean nothing if I'm hurting people or neglecting people who I should be helping. It is possible to act unethically while complying with the law. Our focus shouldn't be on working out the loopholes to do what we want while technically maintaining compliance. Our focus should be on doing good in the communities that we are in because that is what actually honours God. Now, this doesn't mean that you should completely not care what you consume, because the things you choose to surround yourself with can affect the way you think and therefore what you do. What this does mean 
is don't be controlled by what you consume or avoid. Something that you can't do without is controlling of you. Most of us would be aware of that. We see plenty of media talking about addictions to drugs or gambling or alcoholism. What people realise less often is that something you absolutely can't be around is also controlling you. The opposite of an addiction would be an intolerance or an allergy. Someone with a caffeine addiction who can't function without their coffee or energy drink is controlled by that. Someone with a peanut allergy who can't be in the same room where they're being eaten is also being controlled by that. A person who can't function without swearing or making comments of a sexual nature is being controlled by those things. But a person who can't tolerate being around other people who swear or talk about sex is also being controlled by those things. The Bible study group I attend has just finished watching through a show called The Chosen, which is following the disciples as they follow Jesus. One of the standout moments for me comes from one of the Pharisees, who has put out an appeal for information on where this Jesus bloke is and what he's doing and teaching. A Hellenistic Jew has done a long ride on horseback to provide this information and requests an audience. As he is trying to tell them the very important and somewhat time-critical information, our Pharisee keeps on interrupting him. Where are your prayer tassels? What's that that you're wearing? And the guy's telling him, oh, it's damask, it's a pattern created by weaving silk and linen. That's two different fibres. Take it off. Take it off now. Our Pharisee is so obsessed with the rules that he can't stand being in the presence of an issue without correcting it. Even when this is detrimental to getting the more important information which he has actually been seeking for an extended period. So that's four points that I take from this passage to apply to life. The first one, don't go looking for chances to judge people. The second point, think about the traditions you follow and the purpose of those traditions. The third, don't allow others to steal your attention away from what is important. And fourth, think about the impact of what you do. Don't let external things steal your attention away from what matters. Now, as the band come up, I'm going to leave you with a couple of questions to ponder. The first question is, what man-made traditions do you follow which are important to you? The second is, are you holding too tightly to any of those, to the point that they're becoming a distraction or a detriment to your relationship with other people? <laughs>